Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The Lord is coming at any moment, at any day. He's going to take His church. I believe that with all my heart. And in the midst of what we go through here in this life, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, the anxieties, the pressures, the illnesses, the sicknesses, the broken relationships, all of these things, understand, for the Christian, you and I need to know, man, this is but a moment, and all of eternity waits before us, and we can rejoice we can rejoice in the knowledge that at any moment, at any day, the Lord will be fulfilling completely His promises to us. We know that there has been a big push as of late to remove the words Merry Christmas from the Christmas celebration. Today, Pastor David will talk about why this is happening and what our response might need to be. Should we continue to say Merry Christmas? Is there a better phrase that communicates the joy of the season? Of course, Merry Christmas is a wonderful expression. But today, Pastor David will share with us that the word Maranatha is an even better one. We'll learn that the return of the Lord is directly connected with the season. Now, here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Merry Christmas, Maranatha. You know, it's probably, uh, I don't know, maybe about a uh, decade or so, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that. I don't know. The older I get, the, 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 the faster years go by, so you might be able to help me out with this. But it seems like it was about a decade uh, to about 15 years ago that it seemed that the, the phrase, Merry Christmas, was being shut down. That, uh, again, no, no, that's, that's too politically incorrect because not everybody celebrates Christmas. So we, we mustn't offend anyone with, with our words is what the uh, whole idea and the thought was. Well, so I've, I've come up with, with an idea that, uh, okay, instead of saying Merry Christmas, there's another phrase that we could use. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Now, some of you might wonder, well, what in the world does Maranatha mean? And you're saying, well, it's like saying God is It's like speaking Tagalog to us gringos, okay? Uh, we have no idea. Now, I'll, I'll share with you in a moment, uh, but in essence, Maranatha means he is coming or the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. You see, Merry Christmas represents the past advent, the first advent. Maranatha represents the second advent, the fact that he is coming. And besides that, most of them wouldn't understand what you're saying anyway. It would give you a great opportunity to then be able to explain it to them, opening up a door to be able to witness and to share that truth. But yes, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We, we, we have the hope of his coming that's based on all of the promises that have been given to us. And we have this multitude of promises, and the sure foundation that those promises are going to be fulfilled is because 
He's already fulfilled so many in the past. The first advent was a fulfillment of so many of those, not only his birth, but also his life, his death, his resurrection, his ministry, the the birth of the church, all of these things, fulfillments of prophecies of the past that came true. And because God's word has been true in the past, and because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and because God does not change, we can hold firm to those promises that he He's given us. And when he says, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Beloved, we can hold on to that as firm and as fast as the knowledge of his first coming. Maranatha, the Lord, is coming. And that ought to be, again, the, 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 the cry of our heart. This week, we've, as we've already shared this morning, we've lit the third candle, the shepherd's candle. That reminds me, should remind all of us, that God chooses ordinary people to let his message go around the world. God chooses people just like you and I. It's not the pastors. It's not the clergy. It's not the priests. No, he went to shepherds and said, in this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born. And you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying there in the manger. He said that not to the priests there in the temple of Jerusalem. No, he said it to shepherds outside in the hills of Bethlehem. And when he gave them that message, guess what they did with that message? They went, they made sure that it was true. They affirmed the truth of the message of God in their lives first. And then after they affirmed that truth within their own lives, then they went forward from there. And guess what? It was so true and so real in their lives. It bubbled out of their life, and it spilled on everyone that they met. They impacted, they infected the world with the truth and the hope of that first advent. Jesus is born. And beloved, in the same way, we've got to understand that just as God used ordinary shepherds, ordinary people in declaring that first advent, guess what his choice is this time? Oh, the priests and the pastors, that's what he's doing. No, it's everyone Everyone, all of us are called to be evangelists to the point of what God has done in our life to proclaim the reality and the truth, yes, of his second coming. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Now, as I've used that word, and I know that many of you may not know or understand what that word is all about, it's actually only found one place, and that's only in one version of the Bible. So in the King James Version, Paul writes about it, and he says, Maranatha. But again, why they didn't translate that into simply saying, uh, the Lord comes, or he is coming, no one really knows when when we look at the King James Version. It's an Aramaic or a Syriac word. The Lord is coming, or come, O Lord. Now, the early church faced a lot of persecution. You understand that. We've we've taught about that. We've looked at that in the past. The ladies are looking at that in their study in Acts even right now. The life of the Christian underneath Roman rule was anything but easy. There was this continual press, not only for the Jews, but also from the Romans. And the Romans declared that everyone in the Roman Empire would declare that Caesar is God. Caesar is God. And the Christians couldn't do that. 
because they knew that there was only one God. Jesus is Lord, is what they would declare. And, they had, and again, the Romans would come against them, and because they would refuse to say that Caesar was God, they were labeled as traitors, they were under great persecution, and many of them were put to death. Now, living under those kinds of conditions, the believer's morale was lifted, actually, with the hope that very soon Jesus is coming again, with the hope that the promises of the prophets, the promises of the declarations of Jesus would be true, that the Lord is coming. And so Maranatha became kind of a common greeting among the believers when they would come, uh, the, the, the oppressed believers, uh, the, 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 those that were filled with, with all kinds of persecution and trials within their lives. That very word, that very understanding of Maranatha, the Lord is coming, would be an encouragement to them. It would be a strength to them. It, it replaced the Jewish greeting of shalom. You know, you know what shalom means, peace. Well, now they've replaced it instead of peace. Now they're saying Maranatha because the Christians understood that in this world you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have real, true, lasting peace. Now, not externally anyway. Now, you and I as a believer, we ought to have peace in our hearts and lives whenever, even in the midst of these attacks. But in this world, there is going, what did Jesus say? You will be under great trials and persecutions. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. And you see, that's the hope of the believer. The followers of Jesus, knowing that there'd be no peace at this time, they look forward to the time that the Lord would come. They knew that the Lord would be coming back to set up his kingdom. And from the truth of him coming back again, that's where they drew their comfort. And they were constantly reminding and being reminded again that the Lord is coming. Jesus taught parable after parable after parable of his second coming. Remember, he would teach them the, uh, the, the, the parables or the lessons of a, a, a great king going away on, on a journey, and he gave responsibility to his servants and to take care of business while he's gone because he would come back again, and when he came back again, he would require, again, a, a reconciling of lives and of the talents and of the things that he entrusted into their care. He spoke the story of of a, of a great landowner that was going away on a long journey. He gave responsibility to his servants, take care of business, do business while I'm gone because I am coming back. And over and over and over again, Christ reminded his disciples, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone for a long time. But I am coming back again. What are you doing with all that I have, the resources, the life, the work of the Spirit that I've given you, what are you doing with that right now? Because when I come back, I'm going to call that into account. So believers ought to be watching. We ought to be waiting, and we ought to be busy about our master's business. Today, believers in the Lord Jesus, we live our lives in the light of the knowledge that he can come at any moment, at any time. It could happen, as I say, I would, I would love for him to come while I'm preaching, because by and large, I'm not messing up then, okay? Uh, I would love for that to happen. Now, my luck, it'll be one of those days I got the attitude, you know what I mean? But the Lord is coming at any moment, at any day. He's going to take his church. I believe that with all my heart. And 
in the midst of what we go through here in this life, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, the anxieties, the pressures, the illnesses, the sicknesses, the broken relationships, all of these things. Understand, for the Christian, you and I need to know, man, this is but a moment, and all of eternity waits before us, and we can rejoice we can rejoice in the knowledge that at any moment, at any day, the Lord will be fulfilling completely his promises to us. Maranatha, it reminds us to keep our eyes on the eternal things of the Spirit. To dwell on material things is to be in constant turmoil. If we're looking at the world and we're constantly focused on all of these things, we're going to be in constant turmoil. Why? Because this world is in continual turmoil. And all around us, we see that, we understand that. So today, for those that are discouraged, Maranatha, the Lord is coming back again. To those that are worried today, Maranatha, God's going to fulfill his promises, and I believe it's going to happen soon. To those that are filled with anxiety or the problems of life that are just absolutely overwhelming you, understand, Maranatha, the promises of God are sure and true. We can stand on that promise, and we know that he's coming again to receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we might be also. That's the promise that's ours. And that, beloved, even as we celebrate this first advent, ought to be the anticipation, the expectation, the excitement of looking forward to that second advent. Today being the shepherd's candle, the candle of joy. That's the theme of the day. And just as joy overwhelmed the shepherds that, that evening so long ago, so you and I as believers, we ought to have that joy of the Lord within ourselves, again, with that expectation of his soon return. We're going to look at several verses today. Uh, the Limburgs read them for us this morning. We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 35. We're going to look at these, and we're going to see how during the time of the, the, the biblical narrative of the nativity, this growing joy, this growing excitement should have been the hallmark of Israel's life. It should have been the hallmark of Israel's life because the prophets had declared it. They should have been looking forward to it. They should have been anticipating it because of the words of the prophets. Faithful Israel itself should have been living, even though they were under the oppression of Rome, they should have had within themselves that inner joy that excitement, that anticipation that at any moment that first coming of Messiah would take place. They should have been, there should have been within their lives this ongoing anticipation of the fulfillment of God's good news. But you know what? Even for us today, what should have been isn't always what is. Amen? Amen. Yeah, they said. They said, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, you want to see my week? Yeah. We ought to be living with that anticipation. We ought to be, even as Paul says, and it's a difficult thing. Believe me, I'm I'm preaching to myself just as I preach to you. We ought to be like Paul, where Paul, all of these attacks coming against him, he said, "But you know what? None of these things move me. None of these things move me. Why? Because he wasn't." focused on the temporary. He was focused, again, on the glory of his Lord, 
unfortunately, neither for Israel nor for the church is this really what's going on. And this lack of anticipation, this lack of excitement about the fulfillment of God's promises within the church today, I believe is impacting our community because we live by and large, as the church, as though we are going to be here forever and ever and ever. Rather than understanding, oh, no, man, this is just temporary. We're, we're, this temporary housing, we're, we're going to be gone from here really quick. We're going to get our permanent duty station coming up really, really quick. And this is not it. Amen? Amen. I was looking at uh, some of the pictures this morning up on the big screen and all the snow and the, the beautiful trees and everything that was uh, showing up there. And I, I thought to myself, yeah, that, that's definitely not a desert scene. That's not from here. That's, that's someplace, probably Ohio, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, where we're at right now, this is not permanent. This is not permanent. When we read uh, Isaiah 35 earlier, we, we understand that, man, there's this What's going on there, the, the excitement, the, the, the peace, the, the overwhelming power of God that's happening within chapter 35, again, that, that's the good news. That's the good news of the coming of the Lord, but we really can't understand the fullness of chapter 35 unless we have seen or at least are aware of chapter 34. So if you're in Isaiah chapter 35, look to your left just a little bit, a page or two there at chapter 34. In chapter 34, the words of the Lord come very clear through the pen of Isaiah, declaring the wrath of Almighty God. The wrath of God is coming down upon all nations to those that failed to heed the word of God, who failed to entrust their lives into his care. Look with me, if you would, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're just going to touch on a couple of verses there in chapter 34. The prophet Isaiah, again, drawn by the Holy Spirit, he uses some very descriptive language. Look there in verse 2. He says, the, what, indignation of Jehovah is against all nations. His fury is against all of their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. That's some pretty powerful words. That ought to get your attention if you're not a friend of God. But look, he goes on, verse 2, or verse 3, I'm sorry. He says, their stench shall rise from their corpses. Not a pretty picture. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. What does he mean melted with their blood? It's kind of like a candle when the wax kind of drips over the edges of it. The blood of these nations is going to be dripping over the edges of these mountains. Down in verse 8. For it's the day of the Lord's what, church? Vengeance. It's the year of recompense or, or a payback. For the cause of Zion. Verse 9, its land shall become burning pitch. You ever smell tar burning? Oh man, it's just horrible. You go, verse 10, it, it, it shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Now, although most of that prophecy is pointed toward the nation of Edom, the overall aspect of it and the full prophetic aspect of it is upon all nations 
who reject the call of Jehovah in their lives. When they reject him, again, the Lord in that day when he comes, he'll bring vengeance. That's not a pretty picture. And about this time, you ought to be asking me, Pastor, this is supposed to be a message about joy, and none of that sounds like joy. But the fact is, is we can't really understand good news until we know bad news. We need to understand, no, this is the the possibility. This is what's surrounding the world. This is what's prepared for the world. Oh, but good news. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And for those who know him, that's going to be the joy. That's going to be the glory. That's going to be the expression of the greatness and the majesty of God, not the vengeance of God. If they know him, they receive the blessings of God. Again, Understanding and knowing and fully appreciating the joy of his blessings. And though the picture is a bad one, outside the will and the blessings of Jehovah, you and I need to realize that man is in an absolutely desperate situation. Mankind is lost in their sin and in their transgression. The future holds a severe judgment as the wrath of God falls upon the disobedience of sinful men. And yet for those who cry out to God for forgiveness, who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we find that we have hope for the future. And beloved, that's where the joy comes from. That even in the midst of all the garbage that's going on now, There is a greater glory that awaits us. This is where now Isaiah moves from the wrath of God into the blessings of God of chapter 35. In Isaiah 35, look what he says in verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. And you know what? I I don't think that you can really and truly fully appreciate spring in the desert when all the flowers are blooming, and it's so absolutely drop-dead gorgeous around here. I mean, the, the colors of Picacho Peak are on fire on those great years when we've gotten enough rain and all, all the blooming of, the, of, the, of just out, out in the desert place, blooming with beautiful, beautiful flowers. I don't believe that you can fully appreciate that unless you've lived here during the death and the wasteland of summer. You've got to see summer here before you can fully appreciate. I know those that come here, you know, just during a particular part of time, oh, this is such a beautiful place. And believe me, this is Chamber of Commerce weather that we're having right now. There's no doubt about that. But the great beauty of this place is the comparison of the death and the devastation of the desert during the summer and the beauty of the spring that's here. Again, It's at that point, rains come and death gives way to life. Uh, The rains come and seeds that we thought to be absolutely non-existent suddenly spring up with all this this beautiful uh, flora and, and the blooms that are going. What was filled with death is very suddenly made alive. And beloved, that's an occasion for joy. That's, that's, That's a reason for celebration. This was a similar anticipation for the Lord's faithful. In the midst of of, of his threatened wrath of chapter 34, 
the hope of his promise gave optimism and confidence to those whose trust was in him. It says that the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellence of our God. All of that because it would be fulfilled just as Jehovah had declared through his prophets. At one point in history, an incredible and unimaginable event occurred. Heaven came down to earth in the form of a tiny baby and stayed long enough to change the world. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas season, may you allow the love and joy that was wrapped up with Him to fill your heart and spill over to those you love. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or discover other teachings by Pastor David, you can do so at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast to have updated messages as soon as they're available. Right now, Pastor David has a special message to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, this holiday season, I'd like to take a moment to remind all of us of the people around us that may be looking at Christmas from a different perspective. You know, sadly, there's many that don't have a happy family to celebrate with, and depression can pretty much overshadow every part of the festivities. Many people don't know the joy that Jesus can bring them. I'd like to encourage you to pray for everyone you might encounter and be open to sharing the hope that surrounds the true reason for this season. If you too are among those who don't see the merriment of this holiday, please know that all of us here at The Open Word are praying for you. May Jesus fill you with inexplicable joy today. Thanks for listening today to The Open Word. We pray you've been encouraged today and that you'll join us again. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone.